on a Sunday where our topic is the peace of Advent. It was so peaceful listening to the bells, I was thinking they, they should make a, a tape and we could play it when it came time to go to sleep. It feels so peaceful. This relaxes you and makes you very so much aware of the emphasis of this Sunday in Advent. I had this similar feeling, though, mixed with even a little more awe whenever I was listening to the song about the birth of Jesus. Be born in me. It's almost more than we can comprehend to think about this young lady, this young girl, who received a word from an angel that would be misunderstood by many and laughed at probably by more. That she was going to be the one who would hold God's own son in her hands. It's hard to imagine her at peace. And indeed, even in the scriptures texts that describe it, she goes back and forth from being disturbed, from being confused, from being overwhelmed to finding her peace. Be with me as you will, Lord. What a wonderful place of peace in her life she found, even in the midst of what certainly felt like a struggle for her when it was announced. One of the things they tell pastors, usually in your younger years, perhaps before you know it, it's important as a pastor that you know how to comfort the disturbed, but it's also equally important that you know how to disturb the comfortable. You need to have a balance between the two, and that's really what the lectionary texts of today are all about. So much of our faith is passed down through tradition and history and through the minds and mouths of others who before us have led us deeper into our walk of faith. None of us are who we are solely because of ourselves, but rather we are who we are because what has been passed on to us by generations of other believers through the years. Even this cycle of lectionary series that takes us through an annual experience of God's plan for salvation through the scriptures is something that's put there for us and that we build upon. It is something that is shared to us much like John the Baptist came to share the message he had been given, but yet not to point to himself, but to point to the one who was to come. The prophets foretold of John the Baptist, John the Baptist foretold of Jesus, and God sent Jesus. What a beautiful pathway to peace that this is for all of us. In the first reading of the scripture today from Isaiah chapter 40, that is the beginning chapter of what is commonly referred to in theological circles as the second Isaiah. And it is very different in character for a number of chapters here from the first 39 chapters. Whereas in the first 39 chapters, Isaiah is going on and on about the sin of the people and how God would be with them, but it mostly was a tale of consequences of their sins, trying to get them to understand how they had walked into a new wilderness on their own because they had failed to obey the word of the Lord, and the Lord had sent them into exile. 
And like most of us, once we are on a wilderness journey, and let's face it, we have several wilderness journeys often in our lives, don't we? Those times when we feel abandoned, those times when we feel like God is very far away, those times when we know we are not at peace with God because of things in our life that we have not yet addressed, things that we know upset not only our Savior, but our Creator. Things that disturb the peace, if you will, between the Lord and us. Last night at one of the class parties, I noticed an example in human relationships of peace being restored and staying peaceful. They were exchanging gifts, and a lady had picked a gift and was quite delighted with it and wanted to disappear in the corner. But somebody came and stole it from her, is that, you know, the habit in these gift passing things. But they had failed to consider that her husband had not yet had his choice. And when his husband uh, came time for his choice, his wife looked at him and said, you know what to do, honey. (laughs) And we all looked at him and thought, I bet he does too. And he got up and he went and got that gift that she had before. And I thought, peace remains in that household. (laughs) Everybody's at peace. Well, in the words of Isaiah in chapter 40, God has sent Isaiah to speak to them a very specific word that was to say quite simply, your sins and your punishment is over. You have been punished. In fact, the scriptures say double for what you've done. And sometimes in life it feels that way to us, does it not? We find our circumstances overwhelming. We find our place far from the being able to hear the clear voice of God because we know we are actively rebelling against something in our life that God wants us to cease doing or to begin to do. It works in both ways. Sometimes we're rebelling just because we've gotten so comfortable in the world in which we live and we like that spot of comfort and we don't really want to be disturbed. We don't want to really take on new things or new challenges. We don't really want to push ourselves farther and deeper into the presence of God. Sometimes because we know that when we do, light will be shed upon our hearts and we will be forced to make a decision that we're not yet ready to make. Israel found itself in just that place. And so Isaiah says to them, comfort my people, the God says to him, to say to them, The punishment is over. Now, the consequences of that punishment would go on for some years when these words were spoken. But they knew at that point that God intended to comfort those who had wandered away. God never punishes us or allows consequences from sin to come into our lives for the purpose of simply making us feel better. But it's always toward the purpose of our redemption. God allows judgment in creation because it brings us back to God. And God uses said judgment, and you can look at it from two ways. You can say, God is punishing me for my sin, or you can say the consequences of my sin is that I find myself far from God. Either way, the result is the same, isn't it? There is distance between my Father and me. There's anger. There's distrust. There's a lack of peace because I know I'm not walking in the way that God has called me. That's when the people need to be comforted when they have remembered their their problem with God. 
And at that point, the peace begins to be restored. Although it takes a long time sometimes, doesn't it? Can you remember when you walked so far from God? Willingly, maybe not even rationally aware of it, as you found yourself in a lonely spot, not talking to God much anymore. The words not speaking to you from Scripture when you read them. And you knew it was because of the active rebellion in your life. Israel certainly knew that in a very physical, concrete way. I think sometimes it's much more difficult for us when we're walking a life of faith to realize that oftentimes our disturbing news needs to come to us, much like the words of the evangelist Mark, when he writes about John the Baptist and his words saying, confess, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. Those are words that are disquieting, aren't they? They disturb our peace, and they remind us that the Lord is coming back, and we needed to prepare and get ready for that by the continuing the work of transformation that has already begun in our hearts and in our lives. And that's hard work. Who signs up for that? Who wants to sign up for that? It's like a child coming to you out of the clear blue whose room is a wreck and who's been lately talking back to you like you, uh, a young sailor. And you're looking at that child and you're thinking, I need to rub that child out. And yet, that child wants to come back to you and be close to you again. But they don't really want to quite make that step. And parents have to encourage them, right? We have to encourage them. When they wander away, we encourage them to return by administering punishment, right? Isn't that what you do? That's what car keys are all about, right? Believe it or not, that's what phones are about. It's a terrible invention, this phone we carry around with us all the time. But it does make punishment so much more easy and direct, doesn't it? Now, you know that if you take a phone away from a youth for more than 24 hours, you might be sent to prison for it. Because they live by that phone. I mean, they live by it. Imagine the terror that comes in their heart if you threaten them. If you don't come home on time, I'm going to have your phone for a month. Can you imagine such a thing? Cruelty, right? You'd probably call the cops, right? My parents are beating me with my phone by taking it away. It seems so extreme. I remember when it felt so extreme to my brother. A grade wasn't what it was supposed to be, and he said, six weeks, you won't be seeing your girlfriend or driving that car except to school. Every day he crossed it off on the calendar. And his younger brother learned a lesson because he had to mark all Six weeks. There was no early parole from this deal. I said to self, self, don't be stupid. Don't cross the line. And I never did. Not at least for that reason. I learned my lesson through him. Well, with God and his people at this point, he's coming to them to comfort him because God's punishment, as the scriptures talk about it clearly, were for the purpose of their redemption. They were not simply as a form of retribution. You've not obeyed me and I'm going to punish you. Who punishes their children just to see them hurt? The saying is true most of the time. The punishment you give your children and your, and your youth hurts you more than it hurts them. Or it should. And yet you know it is for their good that you discipline them. 
I don't know exactly how you carry it out in your home, but you know the reality that is necessary. People have to learn that there are consequences in their life, right? And when we do things in a way that brings punishment to us, we should not be surprised. Because we've wandered into the wilderness and the consequences are the result. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's because in creation, there is a sense in which it, it deals out its own form of punishment when we disobey the Creator. Very painful though it may be, there comes a time when all punishment must cease. And it needs to be clearly spoken when that punishment is over. With words of comfort and love, both to our children and our youth and also to us from God and to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we are sharing our walk one with each other. That makes grace costly and not cheap. When we fail to continue the work of redemption in our lives, we fail to continue to be transformed into the full image God has planned for us. We are, in effect, causing a gradual sense of God's absence, a gradual sense of God's silence, a gradual sense of God's judgment because we stuck. We stuck and become satisfied with the spiritual level to which we have arrived rather than allowing the work of God to be completed in us. Because it's a lifelong work that God has planned for us all. It's not for the first 30 years of our life and letting up in the next 30, but rather it's for a lifetime for the continual transformation of our souls and our minds and our actions to respond to God. And just when we are feeling comfort in Isaiah, then up pops John the Baptist to administer the other point of the coin, right? He comes to say, prepare the way. Make way for the coming of the Christ. And he says to do it by repent of your sins. Words we love to hear. I find that if you just call the group together for a worship service to rap, repent, you probably won't have enough chairs. People just come running forward. Oh, I want to I wanna repent. I want to I change my ways. I want to do everything differently. I want to look deep inside and see every fault in my heart, right? Don't you get up every morning just jumping up and down saying, oh, I want to repent today. Looking forward to the pain that comes with looking closely at myself. Now we are resistant, are we not? We are resistant, and that makes the experience of God all that more difficult in our lives. Every time we discover a sin and we don't respond to it with repentance, confession, then we are, in effect, beginning to build a wall between ourselves and our Savior. Think about it. Think about your lives. Think about the times when you've wandered astray financially, when you've wandered astray relationally, when you've wandered astray from the normal parts of worship, the normal parts of your own devotion to God, the study of the Scriptures. When you failed to make any changes in your life in a given year, you just kind of stayed the same. The equilibrium is comfortable. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. Works don't save me anymore. So therefore, I'll just coast and slide right into heaven, right? <laughs> Where's the peace in that? Where's the peace in that? Because you see, the Spirit is constantly whispering in our eyes, in a 
to our ears and, and giving us a picture before our face of our constant need to get ready for the coming of Christ. Who knows when Christ may return? If not for the world, then for you. Who knows when they might stand face to face with their Savior? We want to be ready. We want to be prayed up. We want to be freshened up. We want transformation to be as new as yesterday or last week. We want to have confessed our sin and removed any impediment to our communication with God. We want the fullness of that expression of God because my brothers and my sisters, that's where peace lies. That's why John the Baptist was crying out, repent. And he could have said, because there's no other way. There's no other way to find peace with God as long as you are at war with him. If only teenagers were allowed the gift of looking at parents the way parents have the way of looking at teenagers when the teenagers have strayed. Would y'all like that gift? You know, so that you look at your parents and go, you're acting terrible. You will go to work seven days instead of five next week, and you'll receive no pay for half of it because you are misbehaving. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, see, a little applause. Yeah, the youth are saying, yeah, we're not the only ones messing up around here. And on a spiritual level, that's true. But unfortunately, sometimes our, grand, our parents, for those of us who are adults, aren't close by anymore, aren't even around. So who's to tell us that we're messing up? That's why everybody needs a spiritual mirror. And we need to look at it every day. And we need to confess to God how we've wandered away and why God feels so far away today. Because yesterday, I really didn't hardly think of you, Lord. Yesterday, I just lived on my own. And now I'm acting surprised that you don't feel near me and that my peace seems to have evaporated. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I don't really ever feel that because I, I stay at peace with God. And one of two things are true if you're thinking that now. Either you're not looking very deep in your own heart and motives, thoughts, and actions, or perhaps you're just living in a, uh, an era of perfection in your life where God looks at you and is perfectly pleased with your every thought, your every deed, and the maturity of your faithful actions. I would like for all those people to stand now. <laughs> I think we'd pass the plate again because them being so mature, I know they've got much more to give. I want to pass out pledge cards. I want to pass out forms where you can sign up to volunteer right now while you're in that perfect place, not in that rebellious place. But the truth is we struggle with maintaining that peace that we have. But it is as near for us after Jesus as a prayer of repentance and confession when with honesty we've looked at ourselves and ask God to continue the work of transformation in the places where it needs to be. There are no shortcuts to peace, but there is a clear path to receiving it. Confess. Face the truth about ourselves. And change the direction of our lives. And you will have peace. As often as you do it, 
you will feel a deeper and deeper sense of that peace with God. Now, God's plan and God's pathway is that the peace of God is available through Jesus Christ. It requires this ongoing process of looking at ourselves, and the path to that peace is clear. It's through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And when it comes, it becomes very precious to us. And that was made clear to me again a little more than a week ago, about 10 days ago now. I was in my office doing a little premarital counseling with Bonnie and Dan. And while we were there doing a little premarital counseling for them, some of our newest members in our congregation, we were discussing their wedding that was coming up and how it had been planned. And after we had finished all the counseling, I thought I asked a short question when I expected an answer to be, oh, no more questions and we could go home that I uncovered we weren't going home quite as quickly because it turned out that one of the things that was just a problem for them is that their peace in getting married and they were so obviously ready to be married uh, to one another was that they made plans for their marriage before they had found this church. They did not have a church home together and so they had planned a, a civil wedding at a, at a site that had already been prayed for and planned with speakers and everything laid out and they had done it very carefully honest and careful about their budget and their plans. But now that the time had drawn near, when I asked them, is there anything else I can do for you? They said, or anything else, anything else bothering you about the service that I can help you plan for the other person who was going to do it? And they said, well, I so wished that we could have had it in the church. But we didn't have a church home. And so you see a little bit of that sense of peace about their becoming husband and wife was not going to happen in that ceremony that was planned. Because it was not in the church, which would have just completed for them a sense of being in God's hands and at peace with God and beginning their marriage in a good place. And we talked about that for a few moments, and I, I said, well, would you like to do something toward that end? And they said, yes, we would. Is that possible? And I said, well, there happens to be a little-known thing in the book of worship about the reaffirmation of your wedding vows. And they said, well, we would love to do it because our new church family means so much to us. And we would like to take our vows in front of the congregation that we've come to be a part of. And I said, we can do that. So we can do it on a Sunday morning. Just one week almost exactly to the hour that they said their vows last Sunday before they went uh, off to Disney World for a week and they got back yesterday. We're going to ha have them come forward now and reaffirm the vows in the church before God and their church family. Now, when I talked about this with the church staff, they first said, we can't really do that, can we? I think I said something like, well, of course we can. You know who's in charge of worship, right? And they said, yeah, but it'll be so late, people will leave. And I said, no, they won't. Well, they said, well, they might. I said, no, they won't. They said, how do you know? I said, I'm going to preach shorter. And they all looked at one another, and then they looked at me, and I saw the disbelief in their eyes that I would preach shorter. It is now 1130, and I'm 10 minutes early. And the ones that are leaving are, told me before the service that they had to leave early. Come on up. I said, sure, we can get this worked in because it means so much to them. Y'all got the right side now? <laughs> this is the way you're supposed to do it, right? 
I think it is. You, go, you have practice now. <laughs> I charge you both as you stand in the presence of God to remember that love and loyalty alone will avail as the foundation of a happy home. That the solemn vows you have made and are about to remember again today are kept faithfully and as steadfastly you endeavor to do the will of your heavenly father, your life will be full of joy and the home you are establishing will abide in peace. No other ties are more tender, no other vows are more sacred than those you repeat today. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, creator and preserver of all life, author of salvation and giver of all grace, bless and sanctify this couple who stands before you, asking for your blessing upon their marriage. Grant that they may reaffirm their vows to each other in the strength of your steadfast love. Enable them to grow in love and peace with you and each other all their days, that they may reach out in concern and service to the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. They've come here today to seek God's blessing and the blessing of their church family upon their marriage. And so, Bonnie, you have taken this man, Dan, to be your lawful husband. So I ask you, therefore, will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? If you will, say, I will. And Dan, I ask you to declare before God your intention as well. Will you love Bonnie, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? If you will, say, I will. The rings that you are wearing are a precious sign of the outward gift of God's loving grace that you share. We pray that you will wear these rings and live in peace together, not only today, but for all the many years that God gives you together, and that the home you are establishing will forever abide in God's peace. May it be so in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now you remember those vows, and now you've got a second opportunity to set them again. You're stuck with each other. That's the way this works. And we are so glad to have you as a part of this church family. And so by the power invested in me and G through the ministry of Jesus Christ our Lord, I pronounce that you're a husband and wife together. May those whom God has joined together ever be separated by anything on this earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Good to see you. God bless you. God bless you. After church, I'll have you go through the front door so the congregation can greet you. Okay. Be careful walking down. going to sing a closing song this morning. You know, it is possible to live in such a way that all the big moments in your life are meant 
to occur in the sight of God and in the midst of God's family. That was their heart's desire, and we're so glad as a congregation to help you receive that peace from God. You may be here today, and you may not know that peace for your own self. Maybe you know God is some kind of way, but he seems distant and far away. If that's so, you can feel much closer to God by simply opening your heart to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And we invite you to do that today as we sing this closing song. Perhaps you know Christ as your Savior, but you really are not involved in getting closer to God. You're really not involved in a community of faith. We would love to have you become a part of this community of faith. All you need to do is to just come forward as we're singing our closing song together today. We invite you to come as we sing.